Welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast, which started as a mini-series to inform and share best practice during lockdown, but which is moving slowly back to exploring performance on the field of play as competition returns. My name is Jimmy Worrell. I'm the founder of Leaders and I'm filling the boots of Matt Stone, our regular podcast host today. And we're joined as ever by our friend and performance expert, Steve Gearer from the Gaines Group in LA. Morning, Steve. How are you? Morning, Jimmy. I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. It's, uh, it's a bright, sunny morning today um, and uh, really looking forward to talking with our guest and, and hearing a little bit more about how, uh, how other people are, are kind of shifting gears from COVID shutdown to getting back to work. Well, it's good to hear it's bright and sunny. It makes the world of difference. Uh, and this week, it's a privilege to talk with Rick Spielman, one of the longest serving GMs in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I've known Rick for many years, and his curiosity, sense of humor, and work ethic has left a lasting impression on me. And in this interview, we will, of course, focus on performance to uncover ideas, knowledge, and learnings to help you and your and your organizations gain a, an edge. But Rick is in a unique position right now, and we have to acknowledge this is uh, an important part of the discussion we will inevitably have because Rick is a leader of not just a high performance team in the NFL with a majority of black players, but an organization which, like all franchises, sits at the heart of a community, in this case, Minneapolis, a city which was the source of rage and anger across the US and now the world after the tragic death of George Floyd, an unarmed black man by a white police officer. What is even more interesting in terms of Rick's background is Rick is white, his wife is white, and they have adopted and raised six black children. So we will have a unique perspective on this situation, how it affects his organization, the community, players' physical and mental well-being, team cohesion, as well, of course, his family. All at a time when we're grappling with a deadly virus, which has changed the lives of everyone for the foreseeable future and possibly forever. Rick, it's great to speak to you again. How are you? Good, James. And I appreciate you uh, inviting me on to this podcast and look forward to um, the conversations uh, because there is so much going on, uh, not only at the professional sports level, but uh, but across communities, uh, you know, across our nation. And as you alluded to that is spreading across the world and you, you, you know, start back when the COVID-19 hit and this pandemic and how you lead your organization through uh, the pandemic, you know, we were tasked to still uh, conduct our draft, which is probably one of the most biggest or one of the biggest major events that we have to do in the NFL. And a lot we had to do to overcome that, to still uh, perform. I know, you know, during a draft, I believe there were 55 million viewers during the three-day draft back in April. So there was a lot of challenges there. But, you know, that seems a million years ago, although this is still very serious. And uh, we have a long way to go before, um, you know, we're able to say that we're totally safe out there. But then dealing, you know, with the situation here in Minneapolis and just the social injustice and the racism that still goes on in this country today, which is hard to believe in 2020, uh, we're dealing with these issues. And hopefully 
although it's the uh, tragic, a tragic death and the death of many other African-Americans, this will be the uh, tipping point that we all can contribute in our own ways to make change. Rick, um, we will come to the NFL draft and we've got some specific questions around uh, performance and how you drafted players. But uh, putting the pandemic aside for a minute, can you explain the reaction inside the club to the death of George Floyd first? Well, you know, personally, uh, with our family, and uh, it, it hit home very hard. And I remember watching the news when this happened and uh, sitting there next to my wife and uh, we both have tears coming down our eyes. Uh, and she looks over to me and she says, you know, honey, she goes, that could have been one of our children. And me as a white father that's the uh, raising African-American kids, I truly have to ask myself, how do I explain this? Why does this continue to go on? So we had a lot of open dialogue uh, within our family. And I also had a lot of uh, my son's uh, friends over. Uh, and there is a lot of raw emotion uh, when you sit there and able to have that open dialogue. Uh, but I also think with the leadership uh, and how passionate our ownership is, the Will family, about social injustice and how important it is to them, we had to step up with our players and not only our players, but our entire staff in this building. And what do we do to promote change? How do we go about this? So we've had numerous meetings. We've, we have a social justice committee that is made up of not only African-American players, but white players as well. Some of our coaches are involved in that committee. Uh, on the business side, we have a diverse and inclusive committee that are also heavily involved. We've had meetings uh, with these groups. Uh, I've met personally with our rookies because you, you have to remember a lot of the rookies we just drafted have not been in Minneapolis because we were not able to bring them in on visits and probably have never been up in this area of the country. And now what's the impression that they have of Minnesota and Minneapolis area? So we're setting up a lot of of meetings with them and professionals talking through it. I know our ownership not only addressed the team in a team meeting about this, um, but also the entire staff in an all staff meeting. Uh, we had a lot of people that were able to speak up and uh, express their opinions in those me meetings very openly, very candid. And, you know, we, uh, we were able to, uh, we have uh, Alan Page, who was a justice, won the President Medal of Honor uh, who is a all-time Minnesota Viking great uh, that is going to address our team actually tomorrow. We have another big meeting tonight on this social justice. So this is very important, uh, not only to the African-American players, but I think to our entire organization, it should be to everyone across this country on, on how we do make these changes. And I do believe you just don't throw money at the changes. And there's people in places that, that, that make these policies that you know, hopefully we'll see uh, how we can make change and we have to pitch in and do our part, give our players a platform to speak out on how they feel about this and hopefully in a very positive way. And when we can all come together, uh, hopefully it will be a better, we'll be better for it when we come out of all this. 
Rick, you know, mental well-being is is a concern right now um, across the sort of sporting world, uh, especially with players being isolated. Uh, obviously, layer on this situation. Can you explain the mental toll the players are carrying? And and you've obviously touched on some of the sort of uh, ways in which you're supporting them. Uh, are, is there anything specifically you're doing to support their well-being? Well, it's a big challenge because we're all isolated. Everybody's all spread out around the country. Uh, we've been doing Microsoft Teams a platform where we have our open dialogue and discussion where you can see people uh, on those calls, but it's not the same when you can be together. And that's, that's just another hurdle that we're trying to overcome. I know two years ago, with the uh, blessing of our ownership, we actually put together what we call our mental health team where we had two uh two psychologists and a psychiatrist and not only are those uh professionals available to our players our coaches but also to our entire building and i think as an organization you can't the players are affected but there are a lot of other people affected by this and to have that mental health team and for ownership to provide that service uh to everyone in this building so they do have the professionals uh, that they can talk to hopefully aids them as they try to decipher not only through everything that's going on in the world today, but with their own personal issues as well. Rick, Rick I mean, that, that's great to hear. And it sounds as if you're at the heart of finding solutions to this, with it being the heart of where this all happened uh, this time around. What have you learned about yourself? That you keep marching forward, uh, that when you're in a leadership role, Everybody is looking to see how you react and respond, especially to adversity and how you react and how you respond will determine how the people that work for you and the organization moves forward. So I think by being very proactive, not hiding, uh, whether it's a COVID-19 issue or, or the social injustice and all the uh, issues that we're dealing with right now, you have to be out in the forefront and have to be able to have these open dialogue. I kind of look at it as a servant, servant leader, that when you're in these positions, you're there to serve the people, you're, you're there to tend to their needs so they know that you care. I think by having that open communication, open dialogue, and making sure, I know our COO, Andrew Miller, has talked and has had a lot of chats with people individually. Um, we have, I have called as many of the people that work for me as possible to discuss everything from A to Z and to let them know that you actually care and you care how they're feeling, you care how their family is. And, you, you know, you want them to be able to open, be open and free to express uh, their opinion and by doing that, I think you're able to grow and overcome. Hey, Rick, this is Steve. And, and, and you talked a little bit earlier about the rookies. Um, and obviously, you know, this, this is a very, you know, this is we're, we're in uncharted territory when it comes to onboarding players who are brand new to, uh, to teams. You know, going back to the draft and how you conducted your draft, did, did you think about that at all when you were getting ready to make your selections? Were you, were you thinking about, you know, 
uh, you know, really kind of focusing as much on like the pure talent of the individual. Um, Did you make any, you know, adjustments on how you uh, selected players based upon, you know, making sure that you get players who could get up to speed really fast, players who maybe, you know, meshed your culture better than normal years? Or did you just operate the draft in kind of the same manner that you had in years past? I think the first thing we wanted to do is try to normalize our processes uh, as much as possible. So I know back in March, you know, we had to move, I had to move the operation three times. Uh, I started out in my office here. And then we went out when the pandemic started to hit here in Minnesota. Our governor put us at a stay at home uh, situation. Uh, what I ended up doing because of the technology that we needed to function uh, to get prepared for the draft through our meetings, uh, myself and my assistant GM, George Payton, actually moved into a Marriott for 30 straight days. And the purpose was that to the technology that we needed to push out the video across the country to all our scouts and all our coaches so uh, we could build our draft board and finalize our grades on each of these players. But I also wanted to make sure that we were uh, protected because I couldn't imagine if one of the key decision makers ever went down with COVID-19 and you had to be in quarantine for two weeks and how how much that would have set us back. So I put a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but a lot of responsibility on our IT staff. And they know how we operate. They know the procedures we go in place uh, to get prepared for the draft. And I told them, and I've said this in the media, they were the MVPs of this draft because they were able to come up with creative new ways to function and to function as we normally would if we were in this building through all the different platforms, the different um, different ways they came up with us to make it the same. And I can tell you, as we went through our meetings for about a month, uh, we did not have one hiccup, um, whether it was here, we were conducting the meetings in here, or we were conducting the meetings virtually. And once we got used to that platform, that they developed, it was a it was as smooth as I you can ever wish. So we went about the normal procedure, um, but we could never have done that without the given the people and the IT people and given the freedom for them to come up with creative ways. And I said, do not worry if you fail at something or if something doesn't work. Let's go back, let's retest it. Let's keep doing it over and over again, because I know eventually we'll get to where we need to be. And, you know, with our new facility, uh, my draft board is a 40, 55 inch screen TVs that are about 10 feet high, about 20 yards wide that are all interactive with each other. So I can uh, I can go up there and touch. It's a touch screen, uh, that giant of a board. They were able to recreate that on six screens. And so. When I was going through the prep with the coaches and the scouts, I actually had that same function in front of me with what they were able to create. And they continued to uh, come up with different ways to make us more efficient. And the challenge I put on everybody is, how do we make this? Everybody's dealing with the same situation. Everybody's dealing with the same circumstance. How do we make it a competitive advantage for us? And uh, because of everybody coming together, working together for one common goal, given the people the freedom to fail, but yet come up with new and creative ideas, 
And everything that they came up with, I think, was contributed to the success of our draft. Now, from the personnel standpoint, we still uh, wanted to bring players in that were talented, but also a culture fit. And because we weren't able to visit with a lot of these players individually during uh, March and April, uh, we probably did, I would say, over 100 hours of video chats, FaceTiming to get to the same result that we would have gotten if we were able to meet with them uh, individually and in person. So there was a plan in place. And I can tell you, to be honest, from me, it's first, it's like, how are we going to be able to get this done? And after you get over that initial shock that we're going to have to do this, and then they're going to tell you, you can't, the NFL is going to set out a role that you can't work from a remote location. You're going to have to work from your house. We'll put another challenge in. Again, the IT people wired up my house. I had backup generators. I had two different internet services coming in and we were able to function. And I didn't know it until after the draft. I think we ended up with 15 draft picks, which was one the most uh, since they went to a seven round draft. So, and you don't even think about things like that, but we were able to come together as a group. I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think there's over 95 people uh, that are involved in our draft process. And it, it was amazing how everybody rolled up their sleeves, came together, adapted to the situation we were in. And that's probably why we had the success we had because of the people uh, that were able to overcome and do that. And so, Rick, when you, when you think about now transitioning that to, I mean, you, you've got a, you got a lot of potential rookies, you know, on your roster. Um, and I was talking with a, uh, another head coach from the league, um, last week. And, and the interesting thing about rookies in, 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 in eras of shutdown um, is that they, you know, there's a couple of issues. One, they, they tend to get injured at a slightly higher rate than veteran players. And then getting them up to speed on the playbook, getting them up to speed on the locker room and everything else is, is certainly, um, you know, a little bit more challenging. And, and you know, you know, this as, as well as anyone in the NFL, there's kind of like two two schools of thought with coaches, right? Is you, you over game plan and you have as many plays as humanly possible in the game plan in order to handle every single situation, or you simplify everything and you, and you just really execute and you execute really fast and you, and then you just like formation or you motion people to death or, or uh, you kind of hide and disguise things a little bit more. Um, how has this changed uh, the coaching staff and some of the conversations you have with coach Zimmer around um, the way that you're going to uh, approach, uh, you know, teaching and and then also um, making sure that you guys are ready for when that ball's kicked off. You know, we've been able to have a virtual off season, which we're I know I've sat in a lot of the meetings um, where our players are in meetings, usually four hours a day, offense, defense, special teams, uh, the rookies. You do get extra time with them to implement the playbook um, sitting in these virtual meetings. The coaches are able to show the tape. Uh, they're able to install the playbook. I know they start from square one and continue to build. I know they've been in virtual off-season meetings uh, since April, right after the draft, uh, when we were able to start our virtual meeting process. What the difference will be is when we eventually get our players back in here, and we do have, you know, we had a big turnover on our roster this year especially on the defensive side of the ball. So we're going to put a lot of pressure probably on these rookies. They're going to have to come in and contribute right away. 
And I know Coach Zimmer and uh, Gary Kubiak, who was taking over as our offensive co coordinator, and the rest of the staff are really working on once we get them in the building uh, and start to be able to teach them on the grass. Because you can sit in a virtual meeting and you can learn the playbook, but until you actually get out there and physically have to do it, you're going to have to uh, take a lot of extra time to do that. So they have a plan in place. Um, hopefully, I know the NFL and the NFLPA are working together that will implement phases as we come back in. I don't think I remember back, uh, was it 2010, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, there was the lockout and the players came right back in and we went right back into training camp full swing and there were a spike in injuries. So I think from learning from what happened back then and the new technology and the way sports science has developed is to have a plan when they come back in, making sure that you can hopefully get the work you need done, but also being very cautious about the injury and just having them go, you know, full out when they come in. So there's plans in place. Mentally, I think they will be there, but now the part of physically having to do it on the field will be a challenge, but not only for us, but for everybody. And I think coaching staffs that are able to come up with creative ways, whether they simplify the, the uh, playbook or find out what these, especially the new guys, are retaining and not retaining, uh, that'll be determined as we go. Rick, uh, just a, a follow-on question from that, because you say that let's assume that physically you get the players ready to play and injuries are minimized as a result. Mentally, the, the players are, are prepared as best they can be for games, but they're going to be playing in front of probably no fans uh, when they do return to play. Are you preparing them specifically for that, and how are you doing that? Well, right now we're preparing the players to learn the playbook. Uh, I think uh, working with our um our Vikings Entertainment Network, who is also uh, responsible for our game day production. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because we don't know what the rules will be. Um, you know, I've been watching some of the Bundesliga, the German soccer league, Korean baseball. I mean, I've been watching that. I'm a big, big fan of the twins in Korean baseball right now. <laughs> but when you're listening to some of those broadcasts, uh, they're actually hyping in uh, reactions and fan noise, but I don't know if that's coming just through the broadcast or if that's actually done in the stadium. So if there are no fans, I know, you know, our organization is preparing what are going to be the rules and how can you create a game day experience for the players uh, without fans in the stands. But we don't, that's yet to be determined because we don't know what the rules will be yet on piping in noise, player introductions, whatever that is, uh, that's yet to be determined. And psychologically, if players do play in empty stadiums, will it will it benefit certain players over others? I mean, for example, will the younger players uh, gain an advantage quicker because perhaps they aren't, they don't have as much game experience as the more experienced players who, who maybe relish the fact that they're playing in full stadium rise to the occasion? I, I think, uh, James, that's yet to be determined. I also know that when you when you talk to players or if you have played, a lot of the times, I mean, they can feel the energy in that stadium, but sometimes they are so honed in and focused on what's going on on the field from a competitive standpoint that it's almost like just 
white noise or black with the, the noise in the background. It's just you, you don't hear it because they're so in tune to what's going on on the field. And when you get in a competitive situation, just like we see out here at practices, you see their 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 level of rise up. So, but I think a lot of that is, is still yet to be determined whether it has an influence or not. But I know, especially with the type of players we bring in, and one of the uh, areas that we really ho- want to hone in on, on emphasis and emphasize is not only in smarts and, and high character guys, but they do they love to play the game, and do they pl- and why do they play this game? And that's one of the questions as we go through the interview process on that. I want to know why they play, not because, you know, this and that, but what's the core fiber in them that drives them to want to be successful. And that's different for everybody. Uh, So that'll be exciting to see uh, how this all unfolds. Rick, you know, if you kind of cast your mind forward to the season, it's coming to the end of the season. There are one or two teams that have stood out in terms of their, performance what do you think they are doing right now that will help achieve that competitive advantage during the 2021 season well i called a lot of the teams but they wouldn't let me in their meetings or their game planning (laughs) 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 unfortunately uh worried about the minnesota vikings right now since no one seems to be wanting to cooperate (laughs) with each other (laughs) Um, but I do, I think, uh, this is where, you know, creative minds, uh, come in and, and the different tactics or the different, uh, approaches that will be taken, I think, uh, will be interesting to see which, which teams kind of rise to the top through this. It was, uh, you know, even back in the draft, because from the personnel side and for our personnel people, that's a very competitive and our comp- our, our game day uh, over those three day weekend. And uh, you can see, uh, you, you know, the preparation and, and how some teams and who knows yet, because we'll have to see how all these rookies come in and perform. But it, it was even from the preparation of trading in the draft. You seen this year was probably the least amount of trades I've seen early in the draft. And then once everybody kind of got comfortable with how everything was working, it became more active from a trade perspective. But it's just like everything else. I think you won't be able to determine that until teams, I'm sure, have their own game plans on how they're approaching this. And I think the teams that have success will will, will show that they had the best game plan on getting players prepared. Hey, Rick. So this is uh, this is Steve again. Just just shifting a little bit. All right. I, I want to come back to some of the the learnings from COVID here um, towards the end, but. Shifting, uh, shifting to counting how you're now going to start preparing um, for the fall, not only with the players, but you have scouts who have to prepare for the fall. And there's a lot of unknowns about college football right now. And, and, and if, if college football is, is played, um, good for you guys, because you, you're actually going to be able to get tape and you, or, you know, you're going to be able to go to go to stadiums and watch. And, but, you know, there's also like the midweek visits and the traveling. That happens. Um, I know talking to a lot of people, you know, they, they talk about one of the main just broader implications of post COVID world um, is that people will probably end up traveling less. Um, uh, it doesn't seem like that's probably going to be so feasible for 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 college scouts in the NFL. But uh, but how are you thinking about adapting your scouting operation for um, for this fall and then 
is there, is there any, are there anything that you've learned from this time off that'll help you adapt your, your scouting operation in the future? Yeah, great question. Um, we have actually uh, already have uh, a list accumulated for next year's prospects. We've already had a draft meeting with our combine service, Blesto, to get prepared. We have had numerous meetings on procedures. If our scouts can travel, if they can't travel in the fall, what will that look like? What will they be able to do without giving away any trade secrets? We have already have a plan in place on how we're going to adapt if the scouts are not going to be able to travel as much in the fall and how we're still going to be able to get the coverage uh, that we that we need, whether that's just video and virtual meetings with coaches when you can set that up. So there's a we do have a, a, a plan in place that I feel very good about. I think also from the things that, you know, you I always try to look at the glass half full and from everything from on how our meetings, our draft meetings were conducted and from a virtual sense and still being able to get everything accomplished that we needed to as we move forward, even uh, if COVID hopefully one day is, is not a, a, is a major concern as it is right now uh, when they do come up with some kind of cure or vaccine for this. But we're going to conduct a lot of our meetings instead of having our scouts travel in the building, uh, we're going to be doing them virtually. So we have meetings in December, we have meetings in February. So I think cutting down the travel time and having our meetings specifically, we'll, we'll end up doing virtually. And with the technology that our IT people came up with, being able to push out the video that we're watching uh, from the cloud and the uh, technology that we use where it was is like you were sitting in a building so I can be sitting in our meetings and I've got the video on my computer screen here and I'm running the tape back and forth and they're seeing it in real time without any skipping or jumping. So that was very beneficial and that's a lot what our coaches are doing now, uh, a little bit different, but very similar as they show the players the video uh, as they install the playbook. So I think we'll look at this a whole different way and even on cutting down costs of travel and how much does it cost for when you bring in all their scout, all the scouts and they stay in hotel for two weeks at a time and the food and, and everything, everything else will be able to potentially be just as efficient and also uh, be saving some money from a budgetary standpoint as well. That's really interesting. When you start thinking about the like long range implications on, uh, on how you can now maybe use some of those funding, those, some of those funds that you spent on that. So maybe you save it and then maybe you, you actually, um, drive it into uh, new innovations, but staying on the scouting process for a second. Um, so understand full well, how, how like the kind of the logistics, uh, around it are going to change. But I'm curious if, if you, if you yourself are thinking about how decision-making might change. Um, you know, because when you have less information, less detail on players, and, and you can make a case that you may end up having less detail on players, you may not. Um, but if you do have less detail on players, like the classic thing is that you end up going back to um, the reference point, right? And, and, you, and, and there's like kind of two classic ways of making decisions. One is you start with the details and then, and then you go to the reference point of, of, of like how you're making that decision, or you start at the reference point and you go to the details, which if you, you know, if you've read uh, Super Fact Casting by uh, um, Phil Tetlock, he can, 
you can see that typically starting at the reference point and going to details works a little bit better. So, so let me make that concrete for you, right? In the future, you know, if you have less information on players, um, just because of the logistics and some of the issues of, of getting players, would, would you look at a player who, who, you, who all things being equal, but one plays in the SEC and one plays out West in, in, in Montana in a, at a really small school? Um, would you, do you look at those players essentially same, or do you, do you at that point start at the reference point and then start making decisions maybe a little bit different? So t- speak to how, how this might end up changing your decision-making process. I th- uh, the one thing I think that uh, that we were uh, very fortunate is I have a very adaptive analytics department, and I have two guys in there that are way more intelligent than I am on figuring out, again, putting it on them, how do we try to get the same information? And what they have come up with is over the past 20 years from all the data that we have had from the analytics from the test numbers not only height weight speed and all the athletic numbers we use but also the psychological testing that we do all the scores there the intelligence testing we do all the scores there and if we were missing some data the medical and we were missing some data and we had enough data um, they were able to clone uh, where this player would more than likely end up with numbers. So they were actually ghosting numbers in uh, to the rest of the results that we were missing. And uh, they were felt very confident by the algorithms that they developed and by the amount of data that we do have that they were going to be relatively close to what that number would potentially be. So when they came up with those numbers, whether it be a shuttle time or a self-efficacy score that was missing uh, and maybe our psychological data, by piecing together what we had and ghosting in what all the data that we had in in the past on players, uh, we actually were able to fill in a lot of some of the missing spaces that we had. So I, I asked them that specifically, you know, we make a lot of decisions based on not just the number one decision is what you see on tape, but how do we drill down even farther? And they were able, again, to come up with different ways, just like our IT department was, on um, being able to ghost data into that decision-making process. Look, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Jimmy here, just jumping back in. Uh, and it sounds as if there's been... Boy, I would have never guessed with your accent, but go ahead. I thought <laughs> it was <still> <laughs> Very good, Rick. Uh, well, I was, just, I was just wondering, to be honest, what's the... What's the sort of biggest question on your mind right now? What's the the one thing that you think, I really wish I had an answer to that? You know, there, there's a lot of things on my mind. I know the one thing <laughs> that I will say is that once we do get back to some kind of normalcy, I will never take the norm for granted ever again for the rest of my <laughs> entire life. But I think it's it's just with all the adversity, not only with the pandemic, but with the social injustice, what can we do to help and what part can we play with our platform to try to make change now you know i don't know if we're going to ever be able to come up with a cure for the virus or or vaccine but what can we do to you know from an organizational standpoint to prevent this from spreading and to create the safest environment for our players and for our staff to come back together and we have a lot of smart people uh, doing that. I mean, I walked into our building today 
and the procedures I had to go in to get in the building and just to see we have one way hallways right now and all the precautions they're putting in place. Uh, so when we do get back to, to capacity, uh, that it'll be a safe environment. And the other, you know, the other major part going on is, is the social injustice that's going on out there and how can we use our platform to help hopefully promote change and, and try to bring this back together and to bring uh, our community back together and uh, hopefully set an example for others to, to, to work together to, to, to solve all these issues. I mean, sport is in a, a unique position to do that. If you, if you look back at the last sort of 12 weeks, Rick, what do you think you've got right and what do you think you've got wrong? I'll, I'll let you know next year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we are, we are the one thing that we are working is, is we do vet out everything that we discuss and we vet it out. We have a lot of checks and balances. It's not a, uh, I don't want to put it in the wrong. It's not like what's best or what's Rick Spielman think, or what's coach Zimmer think, or what's our CEO think it's what's our organization think. And by us being able to have the open dialogue we have and to hear both sides of a situation, the social injustice and the meetings that we have had, you know, uh, just to give you an, a small example was uh, when we're having a meeting tomorrow with just our scouting staff, a uh, virtual meeting, and for them to express themselves and to, for our African-American scouts, what's it like for them to travel? And does our white uh, scouts understand the difference between when they travel and maybe someone, you know, is racist or, or is, is this can be sometimes they don't want to sit to one of our black scouts uh, next to our black scouts on a plane that was brought up to me. So I think the more open dialogue, the more everybody has an understanding of what's going on and coming up with solutions together as a group, just like we did, we had to all come together listen to all the different ideas and how are we going to come together to have a successful draft with all the circumstances that, 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 that are put in front of us. And when you have, the one thing I've learned is you hire smarter people than you are around you. And to give your employees, to give your players the freedom to speak what's on their mind and not to take it personal or, or offensive uh, so everybody has an understanding. It's when you're trying to make a decision on a player, I'm listening. My, I have my opinion on that player. I have a scout's opinions. They're not always going to be in agreement. Coaches aren't always going to be in agreement with a scout. But as you go through this process and you have this open dialogue and you're able to have positive conversations uh, to eventually come out to a final decision that's best for you know, for everyone, what's best for the Minnesota Vikings? What's best for, you know, everything that we're dealing with right now? Rick, uh, dialogue, understanding, healing seems like a good time to wrap up this uh, podcast. Uh, I, I want to thank you personally for taking the time. It's such a busy time to be with us. You're a, a true leader, an inspiration. And I wish you and your organization and your family and everyone connected to to you and the organization well for the future um, well that's it for another at home with leaders podcast episode you can find this podcast as well as all the other ones that we create on the leaders content hub as well as on spotify apple podcasts or your preferred platform 
If you're fascinated by total high performance and want access to the full range of content, the network, the learning, and events, uh, then head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Thanks to the team for pulling it together. And again, once again, thanks very much to, to Rick and to Steve Gira. Uh, and until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.